Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 21 about God visiting Sarah and how God doesn't lie and what God says he will do, he'll do, and how when God makes a promise, he'll let none of his words fall to the ground. This message is available for free download on iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast and at friendshipwithgod.org. So on iTunes.com or friendshipwithgod.org, download, listen to these messages for free, and it's made available for free by your donations and support to the Friendship with God radio program so that others might hear sound doctrine and the gospel truth and how they can have friendship with God. You can donate and support this Bible teaching radio program with Tom Cantor by calling us now or after the program at 800 247 3051. That's 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. You can sign up for a monthly donation or a one-time donation by calling us at 800-247-3051. We appreciate your support. You can also go online to support us with a donation by credit card at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Or you can write in your support to Friendship with God at P.O. Box 711-330, that's P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, S-A-N-T-E-E, that's Santee, California, 92071. I'll give that to you again. Friendship with God at P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071, or call us at 800-247-3051 for more information. Now, here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on friendship with God, teaching us how God visited Sarah, how God doesn't lie, and when he says that he'll do something, he'll do it. And when he makes a promise, he'll let none of his words fall to the ground. What are they teaching us about this visiting and deliverance that God does not take us out of trouble by remote control, but God delivers us personally by coming to us and visiting us? That's the great meaning behind the name of Jesus. When it says in Matthew 1.21, She shall bring forth a son unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. He came. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the Deliverer. How does he deliver? By visiting sinners in their great need. God's deliverance cannot be separated from God's visitation. That's why King David said in Psalm 106, verse 4, Remember me, O Lord, with thy favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation. And we remember that the word saved and salvation, that's the word Yeshua or Jesus. So when the Jewish people say to me that Jesus does not appear in the Old Testament, I said, oh, yes, it does. It's translated salvation. Here it is. He's the visitor. He's the deliverer. He's the Savior. He's the Yeshua. He's Jesus. And when we're saved from our sins, God saved us with his salvation, with his Jesus. And then there was the priest Zacharias. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, he was the heralder of the coming of this Messiah. And he could not speak. He was made dumb until John the Baptist was born. And when he first spoke, he described what God had done in bringing Israel bringing Israel the Lord Jesus Christ. It's remarkable. He describes in such few words so many things that God did. When he says in Luke 1, 68, it says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. That describes God's visitation. 
That described God's redemption. And hath raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David. That describes God's salvation. As he spake, that describes God's faithfulness in the mouth by his holy prophets. That describes God's prophecy, which hath been since the world began. That we should be saved, that describes God's purpose, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all them that hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. That describes God's covenant of mercy. You know that song we sing sometimes in the breaking our bread time? Of covenant mercy I sing. That's where it comes from. The covenant was a covenant of mercy. The oath which he sware to our father. That describes God's personal pledge that he should grant unto us that we be delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. That describes God taking us as his peculiar treasure, personal treasure, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation. That describes God's knowledge unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God. That describes God chesed, loving kindness, whereby the day spring on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death. That describes God's light to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zacharias here describes bringing God's redemption, salvation, faithfulness, fulfillment of his prophecy, accomplishment of his purpose, covenant mercy, personal pledge, making us his peculiar treasure, God's knowledge, his loving kindness, his light. He describes all this by one word, visiting his people. He visited his people and all this came. God has one way of salvation, and that's by visiting a lost person and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's salvation and blessing to all men are all described as him visiting us because God's salvations and all of his blessings are in a person. The Lord Jesus Christ is God's one-stop shop (laughs) for all his blessings. (laughs) If we have him, we have it all. We have it all. We don't need the ordinances of the church, as one person in Utah was telling me yesterday, that he's going to get to heaven because he's getting all the ordinances of the church. We have it all in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why he describes to us in Colossians 2, 2 through 3, Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 1.19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Colossians 2.10. You are complete in him. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And when Israel was dying of thirst in the wilderness, and they were so thirsty, and there was that rock... And from that rock came out all that water, not a trickle, a giant river, a gush, a geyser, a gusher came out all the water. It's described in 1 Corinthians 10.4, where it says, And they did all drink of the same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. To the dying, thirsty Jewish person in the wilderness, when water flowed out like a river from that rock, a Jewish person could stand there, and he could look at that rock, and he could say, That rock... With the water, the water is abounding toward me. It's huge. And that phrase, abounding toward me, is what's used in Ephesians 1.8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom, prudence. That's why it's so important to see 
that when God delivers and he saves man, it's described by our word in Genesis 21.1 as God visiting man. And you remember the time when the great crowd is shouting Hosanna and the procession of the people are going with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're on their way to Jerusalem. And it was Palm Sunday. And it was a joyful time. And he's heading out there toward Jerusalem. And he comes up just over the hill. And as he gets to that hill and he sees Jerusalem and the city just fills his eyes. And as it fills his eyes, he stops and he looks at the city and he lets the sight of the city of Jerusalem fill his soul. And then and it's joyful. Everybody's, oh, they're so happy. They're rejoicing. They're shouting, Hosanna. And then something astounding happens. Right in the middle of that, he starts to cry. And he weeps. And the crowd is astonished. This is like, should be the happiest day of his life. He's being recognized as the Messiah, as God. And he's crying. And the crowd is just stunned. And they're silent. And then he speaks. And he tells them what he sees. And he says, I see Jerusalem. He says, I see Jerusalem surrounded by the enemy's trench. They've dug a trench all around it. I see Jerusalem under siege. I see Jerusalem being leveled to the ground with not one stone left upon another. And he cries because of all that he saw that the Jewish people had and lost. And it broke his heart. And he describes the reason in Luke 19.41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and lay thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. What was the reason? The reason because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. They didn't know that when the Lord Jesus Christ came to them, it was God coming to them. Like it says in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give thee a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So when the Lord Jesus Christ came, that was God coming to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the Lord Jesus Christ coming to visit the Jewish people. And when the Jewish people saw the Lord Jesus Christ, they had a response in John 1.11. He came unto his own, his own received him not. And they had that response because of uh, how the song goes, they didn't know who you were. And why come they didn't know who you were? Because they didn't want to know who he was. And they despised and rejected him. And as one Filipino pastor told me, that one Jewish person told him in the Philippines, I'd rather go to hell than believe in Jesus. Now that's the ultimate description of they don't want to know who you were. And it's a tragedy the Jewish people did not know the time when God came to visit and to deliver them and to save them. And God visits the lost when he sends a Christian to talk to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he visits the lost when they hear the word of God and consider their own sin and the judgment and eternity and how far they are alienated away from God. And he visits the lost when he speaks to them. And that's the time for the lost to realize this is the moment of my visitation. And that's why it says in Hebrews 4, 7, again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, 
After so long a time, it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. A certain day, the day of today, that's the time of God's visitation. And what happens on that day? You hear his voice. And what's the fatal move, the fatal response for man? Harden the heart. Harden the heart. What is the life-saving move for man? Revelation 20, 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Like you said in John 7, 37, in the last day of that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. In John 5, 40, you will not come to me that you might have life. So what's the right response to God's visitation? The right response to God's visitation couldn't have been said better than Fanny Crosby's hymn, Only a Step. We don't sing it here, but it's a wonderful hymn. Only a step. Only a step to Jesus. Why not take it now? Only a step. Only a step. Come, he waits for thee. Come, and thy sin confessing. Thou shalt receive a blessing. Do not reject the mercy he freely offers thee. Only a step to Jesus. Believe and thou shalt live. Lovingly now he's waiting and ready to forgive. Only a step to Jesus. A step from sin to grace. What has thy heart decided? The moments fly apace. Only a step to Jesus. Oh, why not come and say, Gladly to thee, my Savior, I give myself away. The beauty of that hymn is those words, only a step. On this side, what do we have? We have sin, we have death, we have alienation from God, we have being lost, we have judgment, we have death, we have hell, we have Satan. That's where we are. And he says, only a step onto this side. What's on this side? Cleansing, friendship with God, being saved, redeemed, life, heaven, God. And what is salvation? It's only taking a step. Only a step. And when God visits the lost, his call is like the song. Only a step. Only a step. Oh, why not take it now? A prominent man came to a church one time. He wasn't a Christian. He heard that song. He couldn't get that phrase out of his mind. Only a step. Only a step. Oh, why not take it now? That part of the song just drove him to come back to the church, would lead him to his salvation. That's why the word visited in Genesis 21.1 is so important. When God delivers us from trouble, he comes by visiting us. Now it says in verse 1, next we read the phrase, I mean verse 2. We're making progress, by the way. <laughs> we have, I just don't want you to understand, we just did cover one verse. So don't say we're not moving along. <laughs> All right. So next we see in this verse, look at 1 and 2 together. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. You see what you see in those three verses? Repetition, repetition, repetition. As he had spoken, as he had said, of which God had spoken to him. That statement, that concept is repeated three times to emphasize to us what happened to Sarah and Abraham was a fulfillment of what God promised to them. That's why it says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? See, what God says he will do, he will do. And the truth expressed by these three repetitions shows us that the long-looked-for finally came. It came at last. 
And that's what Habakkuk was saying in Habakkuk 2.3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, or what we call here in Genesis 21, the set time. But the end, at the end, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And when God makes a promise, there's something that will not happen, and that is described in 1 Samuel 3.19, where it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. When God makes a promise, he will let none of his words fall to the ground. And what a graphic picture that is for us, falling to the ground. He says he won't let it fall to the ground. The reason God will not let none of his words fall to the ground is because of what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he's promised us, he's going to come again. And we set our hope on that, and it's a promise of his second coming. And when we're tempted to doubt if he'll come again, we think, you know, he promised that he would be resurrected from the dead. In John 2, 19-20, he said, destroy this body in three days, I'll raise it up. This had the Jews 46 years, temple and building, so forth. He spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he is risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said that unto them, they believed the scripture which Jesus had said. He said in three days he was dead, and then he would raise his body. Did he do it? Yes. Well, I went to the garden tomb. The thing that was so impressive to me there at the garden tomb was its emptiness. <laughs> There's nothing in there. Because he said he would do it and he did it. He said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said he built his church. Did he do it? Yes. Look today. He promised that he's going to come back a second time in John 14. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you unto myself. He said he's going to come back. Will he do it? Yes. See, the repetitions in verses 1 and 2, they give us this assurance. We read in verse 2, Sarah conceived. She buried him son. It starts off with these words, Sarah conceived. Sarah is now 90 years old. She's just a year younger than our dear Muriel. Okay, And as far as Sarah's fertility was concerned, it's described by one word in Romans 4.19. Not being worth what he considered not his own body, is about 100 years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. That's the description of her fertility. Deadness of her womb. Poor Sarah, it's kind of embarrassing we read this, you have to talk about her womb, but anyway. So our question is, if Sarah's womb is dead, how'd she do that? How was Sarah, at 90 years old, able to conceive? And the answer is, in Hebrews 11, 11, through faith. Also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah judged God faithful who had made the promise that she'd have a child. See, that's a different picture of Sarah than we saw before in Genesis 18, where she was laughing in unbelief. But now we see in Hebrews 11, 11, Sarah has totally changed. And now she's judging him faithful that she says, I'm going to have a baby. Here's the thing. It's not because she saw herself as able to have children, but because she saw God as able to give her children. That's the difference. She judged him faithful who had promised. And because she saw God as faithful who had promised, she received the strength and to deliver she was past age. Very interesting for us. See, on the one hand, we see Sarah in the condition of deadness, the deadness of Sarah's womb. And then we see Sarah receiving strength to receive, conceive, and, and deliver. So after she receives the strength from God, the place of deadness, her womb, became the place of life. The little life Isaac comes out. And so Sarah's womb was a place of deadness, 
But because of God, Sarah's womb became a place of life. God brought life out of death. And that's exactly what he said about us in Ephesians 2.1. You hath he made alive, or quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. In Colossians 2.13, you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So just as Isaac was brought out of, to life, God brought us out of death into life. As it says in Psalm 107.14, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. And the Jewish people in the slavery in Egypt, the land of Egypt was a land of death. As it says in Exodus 1.22, Pharaoh charged all of his people saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you save alive. See, whenever a Jewish woman became pregnant, she was marked out by the Egyptians. And they would watch her. And when they saw she delivered her son, the Egyptians would go grab that little Jewish boy and fling him into the Nile River. And the Jewish people would just stand helpless and watch in a hopeless despair as they just watched their newborn Jewish baby boys floating dead down the river, being eaten by the crocodiles, washed up on those little corpses on the side of the shore. And there was nothing that the Jewish people could do. Why? Because Egypt had become a place of death. The land of Egypt was a land of death to them. So when God brought the Jewish people out of Egypt, he was bringing them out of death. God was bringing the Jewish people out of death into life. The land of Egypt was a land of death. And there was a particular phrase that's used 81 times in the Bible, and that phrase is, out of the land of Egypt. And that phrase, out of the land of Egypt, is so important because it emphasizes how God brought Israel out of death to life. As a matter of fact, God chose that term to identify himself when he gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus 22. He said, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And he continually referred to himself as the person who brought Jewish people out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of death. In 1 Kings 8, 16, since the day that I brought forth my people, Israel, out of Egypt. The phrase, out of Egypt, or out of the land of Egypt, is important for us because John 5, 24 is our out of the land of Egypt verse, where it says, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Passed from death unto life. See, in 2 Timothy 1.10, it speaks about our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, passing us from death to life, that had a cost. And that was in Romans 4.25. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. When Lazarus was brought forth out of his land of Egypt from death, it says in uh, John eleven forty four, he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said unto him, Loose him, let him go. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ himself was a bringing forth out of the land of Egypt or the land of death to life, as it says in 2 Timothy 2 8, that he was raised from the dead. Our resurrection is a bringing out of the land of Egypt, land of death, into life, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And that verse in John 5, 24, we already said, is passed from death into life. But the next verse says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and is now, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. And that's why baptism is so important, because it's symbolic of all this. As it says in Romans 6, 4, that we are buried with him, by baptism and to death, 
and that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, even so we should walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being our God who brings us out of our own personal land of Egypt, the land of death, and passes us from death to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. And we have several teaching resources to offer you this month. Tom Cantor, our amazing Bible teacher, has some small-sized tracts and teachings that will help you to grow in your faith, prayers, and witness. Now, these resources we are offering are called How Would You Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53? How to Pray for the Lost? How to Pray for the Saints? And What Kind of Love is God's Love? These written resources from Tom Cantor will teach you valuable and simple Christian lessons. Now, Tom Cantor himself talks about how the story of a Japanese boy helped him to understand the meaning of Isaiah 53 and how a Jew learned the meaning of Isaiah 53. Now, Tom also will teach you how to pray for your lost friend and how to pray for your friend in the faith with his teaching on how to pray for the lost and how to pray for the saints. Finally, Tom will show you in a Bible track how God's love is honest, giving, inviting, patient, but also a love that can be rejected. But it's also a love that you can pass along to a person you know with a Bible track, What Kind of Love is God's Love? All of these great teaching resources and small tracts and teachings are yours for a donation of $10 or more to the Friendship with God radio program, which will help to support this program staying on this station that you're listening to. So call us now for these valuable resources from Tom Cantor and your donation of $10 or more to support this Bible teaching radio program. Call us at 800 247 3051 to get these valuable teaching tracks and resources. 800-247-3051 for your resource of the month from Tom Cantor. And to learn more about Tom Cantor or having friendship with God, go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.